Welcome to Work and Play, the podcast of Constanji Brooks, Smith & Profit. Here we discuss employment news and provide practical tips that you can use at your company or in your practice. I'm your host, Susan Basford-Wilson. Today, I have my trusty co-host and partner, Sherry Silverman, with me. And today, we are tackling our topic in an exciting new format. Sherry, are you ready to mix things up a bit? I'm actually really excited for this Wage and Hour episode game show edition. I know. Let, let's be honest here. It is hard to make the Fair Labor Standards Act entertaining. But I think this is going to be fun, and it will highlight some of the current wage and hour issues that are popping up in the areas of working from home and returning to work. So without further ado, let's do this. All right. Let's do two rounds. First up, issues for the non-exempt employee. These are employees who do not fall under any exemption and are therefore entitled to minimum wage and overtime for any hours worked over 40 in a work week. And just to be clear here, we are only talking about the Fair Labor Standards Act, right? Only the federal wage and hour law. So we will ignore any state or local laws or ordinances, which could possibly lead to another result simply so we don't get too mired down in state-specific uh, minutia, <coughs> California. <coughs> exactly. Good disclaimer. Okay. Quick ground rules. First, we are playing for the grand prize of an ego boost and ability to pat yourself on the back. No actual prizes will be awarded. How it will work is we will answer the question and then give our live studio audience a few moments to think about it before we answer. Sherry, I'm actually sitting here alone, at least for the moment, and uh, I'm, I'm good with that, actually. So by live studio audience, are we talking about like our spouses and the kids walking in? Mm-hmm. Hey, we're recording live in our studio in the state of disbelief. So just go with it. Okay. All right. I I can do that. Okay. First question. We will start with a true or false just to get warmed up. If your policy prohibits employees from working overtime without permission, you do not need to pay employees overtime unless they received permission ahead of time. True or false? Is this where I should hum the classic game show waiting tune while everyone writes down their answer? You know, I was actually totally planning on playing that, but a nagging word called copyright kind of tripped me up along the way. So we're just going to have to get creative here. Um, But with that, time's up. So the answer is false. It is common and completely okay to have a policy that requires employees to obtain permission before working time, working overtime. However, if they do end up working over 40 hours a week, even if it was not properly authorized, then they must be appropriately paid for that time. Exactly. But keep in mind that employees who do this are violating their company's policies. So they can be disciplined for failing to comply with the policy, but they do need to be paid. And it still applies if you have non-exempt employees that are still working from home. 
even though it's harder to manage, you know, you've got to make sure that your employees are aware of the policy and you monitor the situation the best you can to make sure that you're not running into a lot of overtime that wasn't budgeted. I know this is a particular concern nowadays when companies really need to be a lot more cost conscious of payroll costs. Good point. All right, let's make this next question a little trickier. We always get a lot of questions about travel time. So which of the following options is not compensable travel time? A, as a passenger at night for an overnight trip when the employee generally works day shifts. B, travel to the first job site after having to pick up job supplies along the way or C, on a special one-day assignment to another city, regardless of the time and day. So just to recap, which one is not compensable? A, night travel as a passenger. B, travel to the first job site after getting some supplies. Or C, a one-day assignment to another city. So while our fake studio audience writes down their answers instead of that cute jingle, I'm going to just blurt out uh, FLSA related song title. (laughs) All right. What do you got? Obviously, Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. Perfect. I will award you bonus points in our game show if you sing some of it, karaoke style. Uh, All right. Um, Not now. I will make a deal if someone really is so inclined to hear that and they want to leave a nice rating and make a request. I will probably honor that request in a later episode. <laughs> Actually, I that, may, that may make people not want to tune in. But all right, with all that, I think we've given our listeners enough time to ponder this one. And the correct answer is A. So the general rule is overnight travel away from home is work time when it occurs during the employee's normal work day. And this is actually true not just for regular working days during normal working hours, but also during those same hours on non-working days. However, the Department of Labor does not consider as work time the travel time that's spent outside of regular working hours when the employee is a passenger on an airplane, train, boat, bus, or vehicle. And of course, the the idea there is that The employee can use this time for themselves by reading a book, talking on the phone, or listening to our podcast. Of course, or even sleeping. True. I mean, employers generally don't like to pay employees to sleep and can, in fact, be miffed when employees are sleeping on the clock. Of course, it does depend. There are exceptions and a set of rules about when sleeping is compensable time. But yes, for employees that hold what I would say normal shifts, you typically don't need to pay employees to sleep. And just to touch on the two other answers, although normal commuting time is not usually compensable, in answer B, the employee first had to stop somewhere to pick up job supplies, which is an integral and indispensable part of the job. So travel time from that location to the first worksite is compensable. And with answer C, when an employee is given a special one-day assignment in another city and returns home the same day, the time spent traveling to and returning from the other city is generally work time. However, the employer may deduct the time that the employee would normally spend commuting to his or her regular work site. Got it. 
Okay, before we move on to the next category, let's do one more on compensable time for non-exempt employees. Let's say you require your employees to have their temperature checked when they arrive at work. Pulled that one out of the air, didn't you? (laughs) If you had told me three months ago that this is something that would become a thing in the summer of 2020, I would have thought that you were making an obscure employment law joke. Yeah, much has changed, my friends, since we saw each other just a few short months ago. I mean, to think back then, I actually tried someone else's cocktail and we actually sat within two feet of each other. It was a horror. (laughs) Right? I I also think I gave you a hug. So, you know, those were the days. Times have changed. All right. Again, I, I digress. So employees are required to stop for a temperature check. True or false? An employee must be paid for the time they have their temperature taken when they arrive at work if the process lasts more than 30 seconds. Okay. And while we wait, it is my turn, I believe, to shout out a song title. How about uh, Cindy Lauper's Time After Time? (laughs) Clearly, based on these last two, we are both children of the 80s. Um, And. (laughs) With that, time is up. Uh, The answer is false. While a safe and conservative answer from a wage and hour perspective would be, yes, compensate employees for all of that time, including time spent for their temperature check, it's not absolutely clear under federal law that the time is going to be compensable. Again, In some jurisdictions, it it clearly might be, but under the Fair Labor Standards Act, if the amount of time involved is so small as to be what's considered de minimis, it might not be compensable. Either way, though, there's no set amount of time that automatically exceeds the de minimis threshold. So that arbitrary 30 seconds I put in the scenario is why I can safely say that the answer is false. Oh, tricky, tricky. The fake studio audience is captivated by that complex way of saying it depends. Mm. Hey, the dollar value, I mean, sorry, not the dollar value, the bragging right value of these questions is going up, so they have to get harder. All right, I think it's your turn. How about you kick off round two, exempt employees? Happy to do so. As a quick refresher, certain employees are exempt from coverage under the Fair Labor Standards Act and therefore not entitled to overtime pay. And that is the group we will be focusing on here in phase two, or should I not say phase two? (laughs) Anyway, let's say you are experiencing a temporary change in your business, as so many businesses are and you instruct your exempt employees not to work for a period of time. Which of the following options is acceptable? A, force them to take paid leave for the time they aren't working. B, require them not to work and pay them nothing for full weeks when they don't work. C, neither is acceptable. Or D, both are acceptable. Again, this is for salaried exempt employees. Um, Is it A, Acceptable to force them to use paid leave. B, require them not to work for an entire week and pay nothing. C, neither. Or D, both. Okay, my turn with the song choice. And I can't help myself because it's another 80s song. She works hard for the money. (laughs) Wait, I'm not sure I know that one. Can you hum it for me? (laughs) Nice try. Are you kidding? Donna Summer. Great movie soundtrack too. 
Um, and now the song's going to be stuck in my head for the rest of the day. But now, please reveal the answer. The answer is D. Both are acceptable. I know a lot of employers were quickly trying to figure a lot of stuff out as they implemented furloughs at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. And of course, the general rule of thumb with salaried exempt employees is that they must be paid their full salary regardless of the quality or quantity of work they do. But with nearly all employment laws, there are exceptions. The big one that comes into play here is when an exempt employee has not performed any work for an entire work week, then the employee does not need to be paid for that week. Good info. All right, next up, the executive exemption, which is one of the white collar exemptions that was just impacted by the minimum salary threshold that was raised to $684 at the beginning of the year. $684 a week, that is. So one of the requirements for this exemption is that the executive supervise employees as part of their job duties. Um, To satisfy this requirement, which of the following would be sufficient? A, supervising two full-time workers hired through a temp agency. B, supervising four part-time workers. Or C, supervising two full-time independent contractors. All right. It's my turn to pick a song, right? And I feel if I pick another 80s one, I'm going to have to get bigger hair, but I'm still going to go with Manic Monday by the Bengals. Nice. Nice way to mix it up. Okay. (laughs) The correct answer is B, for part-time workers. And the reason is because the employee must customarily and regularly direct the work of at least two or more other full-time employees or their equivalent. And for part-time employees is equivalent to two full-time employees. Uh, The other three requirements in order to satisfy the executive exemption um, are that the employee be compensated at a salary of at least $684 a week. Their primary duty must be managing the business or a recognized department or subdivision of the business, and they must have the authority to hire or fire other employees, or at least their suggestions and recommendations as to hiring, firing, promotion, or any you know major status, change in status of the employment be given a lot of weight, particular weight. Um, answers A and C do not work because they are not considered employees as defined under the Fair Labor Standards Act. And I would be remiss if uh, I didn't mention that you need to be sure that your, quote, independent contractors, unquote, are properly classified as independent contractors. Because misclassification is a huge area of potential liability and just labeling someone as an independent contractor doesn't actually mean they are an independent contractor, particularly in states with their own more restrictive tests on this point. All right. I think we have time for one more question. Let's talk about inclement weather policies. Which of these two options is not permissible under the Fair Labor Standards Act for inclement weather? A, closing the facility and not paying exempt employees for scheduled hours, or B, keeping the facility open and not paying exempt employees who can't make it in. Okay. And instead of, you know, another song title here, I just want to take this moment to acknowledge that it's hard to even 
scratch the surface of the many wage and hour issues employers should be considering, especially in the midst of this pandemic and as employees are returning to work. So if you missed Constanji's webinar on back to work wage and hour pitfalls, be sure to check out our website for some up-to-date FAQs and articles for some tips to protect your company. Excellent PSA. All right, but here you go. Which option is not permissible? Well, the correct answer is A, closing the facility and not paying exempt employees for scheduled hours. The DOL provides a list of instances in which an employer is permitted to dock the pay of exempt employees, and business closures is not one of them. If an employer sends exempt employees home early or closes for the day because of weather, then exempt employees must generally be paid for the entire day. The only instance in which an employer does not have to pay those exempt employees because of inclement weather is when a business closes for an entire week and the exempt employees perform no work during that week. Or I guess if the business remains open during inclement weather and the exempt employee chooses to take the entire day off for personal reasons. Definitely valuable information to keep in mind here in Florida and really up and down the East Coast as we head into hurricane season. Yikes. Usually when I hear inclement weather here in the Midwest, I'm thinking snow, tornadoes, maybe an occasional flood thrown in. Oh, gosh, you got a lot. All right. So truly, regardless of where you work, these policies do come into play, you know, year round and and all across the country. Um, Now, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you about any interesting wage and hour cases you've encountered that you might want to share. Oh, do I have one? Um, Though, really, it's more interesting because of what happened when we were defending the case than because of the allegations made in the case itself. I'm intrigued. Do tell. All right. So one of our restaurant clients got hit with a wage and hour lawsuit in Chicago. If memory serves, it's it's been a minute, but this suit was alleging that the plaintiff and a uh, putative class of other employees were regularly required to work off the clock. Like they had to clock out, but then they were required to mop the floor and take out the trash. Sure. Off-the-clock work's a pretty common theory we see all the time. And, as we so often do, uh, we wanted to show that there was no truth to these allegations and that no class should be certified. And do you want to guess how we went about supporting our position? Um, You gathered affidavits? We gathered affidavits from employees from all three shifts of the fast food restaurant employees that were located in a less than ritzy part of Chicago. Mm -hmm. I can see where this is going. Yes. So when my colleague and I walked into the restaurant at 2 a.m. looking for the assistant manager, one of the other employees was like, oh, hey, are you here about the shooting? The shooting? (laughs) Exactly what I said. Apparently, someone had gone through the drive-thru the night before and had been so angry that their order was wrong that they shot out the glass on one side of the building. Wow. Yeah. Um, You can really stumble on some surprises during these on-site visits. 
Right. Uh, needless to say, we asked to conduct our interviews in an interior room of the building yeah. after hearing that news. Yeah. Wise choice, I would say. Right. Um, as I've said before, employment lawyers really have some fantastic stories. Like, you'd almost think that I just made that up, but I promise you it is 100% true and unembellished. And that's what you'd call a hard day's night. <laughs> but, um, um, fell so flat. Yeah. <laughs> And on that note, let's wrap up today's podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, Sherry, for, wait, what did we decide to call it? The the Price is Steep, Fiction or Finds, the Filsa edition? Yeah, I'm, uh, those are all good. Whatever we call it, it, it was fun. It was. And before we sign off, I want to make my typical request of our listeners. As I've said before, we are a new podcast, and it would be great if those of you listening would follow us, rate us, and especially leave us a written review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts so that other people who are interested in employment law can find us. Many of you have done just that, and thank you so much for it. We hope you tune in in a couple of weeks for the next episode. Thanks.